0: It's Jim Cox, and I'm here today with an interview with Tevis Rose Trower. She is a writer and an entrepreneur, and she has a new book titled "Game Changers: Guide to Radical Success." And I saw a post about it on Facebook and was intrigued because, obviously, I think all of us can use some radical success these days, and. You know, I wanted to find uh, more out about her path. So Rose or Tevis, is it Tevis or Rose? It's Tevis. Tevis. Thanks for taking the time to chat today and, uh, you know, sharing with us.
1: Awesome to be here. I'm super stoked.
0: Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background. Like, uh, how did you grow up? What do you do? Yeah. How did you learn to do what you do? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a good question. Um, uh, my parents were hippies, right? My dad was a Montessori teacher. Um, we lived in Italy. This is back when you had to go to Italy to become a Montessori teacher. I'm, wow. uh, I'm 52. So that was back in the sixties. And, um, they, they, they used to call him the Ram Dass of Montessori. Cause he had a crazy, <laughs> you know, side sweeps of, hair and everything, and my house had no sugar in it, which I hated, right, Cara bars, tiger's milk bars, <laughs> to really date myself, and, um, and my mom was kind of a mystic, um, they split when I was quite young, but, but what had really been seated in me was, um, I don't know, a sense of longing for connection, because the kinds of summer camps I went to had no buildings, they were just out in the woods, Right. Um, the the teachers I always knew them by first name, right? So there 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 was a different level of I think um, autonomy and self respect and feeling um, safe on the planet that that was just part and parcel of my upbringing. So when I made it through um, through school and I found my way into college, um. I really found myself curious about, like, how does the the world work, right? And that automatically brought me into questions about um, money and influence and history and bias and control, uh, power, um, legacy, how all those things spill out over the generations. And um, so I majored in history and Mm -hmm. that, that, um, you know, this was the 80s. So I got really curious about um, Central America because that's what was all over the news. Back in those days. Back in those days, Sonny. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oliver North, Nicaragua, (laughs) El Salvador. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Um, and I was really curious about that. I was curious about the legacy of um, colonialism um, as it played out in terms of our modern, Power structures and um, what it does to culture, right? Just, just everything. I'm a big freaking geek, is what I'm trying to say to you, James. So I was, I was just sucking up all of that, anything I could find to help me um, really understand the mosaic of the world as these pieces um, impact each other. And um, spent some time in Nicaragua on a service project with a bunch of Russians.
0: Mm. Sounds That's really that's interesting in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It was really interesting especially for a girl who's a beauty school dropout and had served as a US Army reservist, right? Like like it was just just another step and um part of what I realized while I was down there we were down there to build um a healthcare center. It was part of a um this dude who was a pastor at Virginia Tech would take kids down to Central America. Um on service projects, but they were always kids from the US and the USSR because of the oppositional like positions of the countries, it allowed him to feel like he was helping people see each other as people. Yeah,
0: right. no, that's good.
1: And um, so while we were down there, we all, all stayed with families at the end of the trip. And, and that's too long a story to even go into. I will tell you how I landed in business school, though. Um, At the end of the trip, the mom that I was staying with um, sat me down. And when I say staying with families, I mean dirt floors, um, Mm -hmm. little if any electricity, not a lot of access, you know, to water, et cetera. Um, She sat me down and she said, this is really cute that you guys came and we're really uh, grateful to you, um, that you care, but next time stay home and send money. Mm -hmm. And it really struck me. Because I was looking at the community I'd come to know, where there were chemists, um, there were um, history teachers, there were every kind of person that you can imagine, and they had nowhere to work because of wow. because of the economic embargo. And I'd been kind of sitting with, you know, do I become an attorney and do global law? Because I knew that global was really compelling for me. Um, do I get a PhD in some kind of you know sociological history you know la 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 and when she said that to me i was like she's freaking right Hmm. they do deserve to work and you know i thought about the fact that that i'd kind of looked down my nose at the people who majored in business i went to university of tennessee and they would go to class in suits with briefcases in 90 degree weather and um I thought about that and then I realized, you know, if you want to change the world, you gotta work through like if revolution and class uprising is not on the table, then then those of us who are thinking about the ripple out effect of of the everything of everything need to be involved in the power mm-hmm. structures, right? Mm-hmm. And just complaining about them is not enough for me. And so I decided to get an MBA which surprised everyone.
0: Wow. <laughs> so the the goal was to try to start building businesses that would help facilitate what was going on in terms of people in South, Central America or
1: for me personally, I didn't really know. I just knew that if we want business to be different, then we need really different ways of thinking to be mm-hmm. present and you like, have
0: to be in the room.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. That's cool. That's, that's exactly what I think too. I mean, I do socially responsible investing and um, I mean, the reality is that most people who are in business are, have been brainwashed to only see, you know, the, uh, profit on the bottom line and really not pay attention to who it affects as it goes through the system so if it destroys communities if it destroys families if you're you know starving your workers you know doesn't matter because you're only focused on the one thing at the bottom yeah and that's got to change
1: yeah and that's a lot of why i do what i do
0: Mm -hmm. So how did you come up with Game Changers Guide to Radical Success? So what is that about?
1: You know, it's um, the result of thousands of hours of coaching uh, conversations and exposure um, to both high performers and C-suite leaders um, and a lot of really respected organizations uh, from uh, Bloomberg to KKR to, to, um, to Chanel to the NBA. Um, and I could go on, but, but I was doing a lot of strategy work and through that I was being pulled in to a lot of executive coaching, um, usually for C-suite and high performers with very, very, very few exceptions. And by virtue of closing the door And sitting with them and it's amazing what happens when you invite someone into being fully present it's amazing what will surface and show up when someone feels safe and part of what I really started to observe was that um, this this propensity that drives people to want to participate and that kind of environment, right, in the business world is oftentimes predicated on just wanting to feel safe. It's the exact same drive that any of us have, right? We just want to feel safe. We just want to feel safe. But um, our drive for that comes from a lot of social fears and a lot of, well, what's going to make me valid, right, et cetera. And so we go into the business world. And as we do that, there's, there's a million tiny deaths that happen along the way, right? A a million tiny moments where we kill off our voice and we silence our hearts and we silence that deep, deep intelligence within us that defies any human quote unquote logic, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And this really goes beyond shareholder value. This is how do I respond to an uncomfortable statement in a meeting? I mean, this really becomes in the moment how am I surviving? And what I perceive is my jungle, mm-hmm. right? It may not be against tigers, but in this concrete jungle, everything is a threat, right? And so through that, um, the survival drive and the drive to be safe, right, becomes pretty, you know, pronounced. But these million tiny deaths that happen along the way for a lot of us. I mean, you can check any box you want. I don't care if you have an airplane or um, how many wives or husbands you've had or uh, um, property, handbags, money, 401k, you name it. You sever enough times this dialogue with your truth and you really not only become a part of the problem but you actually start to experience that death, right? You start mm-hmm. to experience um, that break. And um, so part of what I realized is that many of us think that it's either or, right? That you can't participate in the verticals or the vortices of power and be true to yourself. And I say, I say fooey! I say, why not? Right. And I look for the exemplars um, throughout the world, you know, current and historical who um, have stood in their own skin, have stood in their own truth, and they have participated. And by virtue of that decision to not fall prey to this false dichotomy, they changed the world
0: don't you think though it's the institution that they're in that kind of fosters those thousand cuts and so it becomes a matter of how does an individual stand up against that institution to be able to express themselves if they're yeah. alone
1: yeah um so james i would say it's a process of self selection right you you um you these tiny deaths start to occur in the process right they start to occur in grade school and high school and yeah.
0: yeah right
1: these yeah. these are the guys who wore the suits for no reason and I need to agree with them, carried yeah, yeah, yeah. carried a briefcase when they were 18 right um, so these the this actually is just kind of the aggregation of a lot of those deaths but it's of. not to,
0: it's just not it's not just those guys that carried the briefcase but it's everybody yeah that self-selected themselves to say, well, I'm not good enough to be in business. I'm not good enough to lead a company yeah. and kind of surrendering to even being part of the dialogue.
1: Yeah. Right? Well, there's absolutely that. The other thing is the, the reality I also found is that a lot of high performers and really incredible achievers have a profound imposter syndrome because of those tiny deaths, mm-hmm. because there's a sense that if people knew who I really was, would they trust me as much? Would they, um, would I still have the power, the respect, the gravitas I do? And so it's really this self-perpetuating um, cycle of um, contrived identity that, that, that no one can live up to and nor, nor would they actually probably want to, if they felt that they had a choice. Hmm. Um, So so a lot of the conversations that, that I have with high performers um, is really to carve out, well, what's your path to even acknowledge what parts of yourself you want to bring into the present, right? That you may have left, a long time ago but you want to presence them to what you're navigating now because this idea of success is so superimposed it's so external and you and i both know that flourishing that worth right when you understand that as a human question a question of a state of being um, it's less about greed for material objects or power. It's more about greed and lavishing, like really appreciating, savoring life.
0: And that's all about connection at the end of the day. I think.
1: Absolutely, absolutely connection
0: is self. I'm feeling connected, yeah.
1: Yep.
0: So is it a matter then of having these high performers isolate kind of this image of who they want to be in their outside life and kind of siloing their, who they want to be apart from how they are at work. Is it a matter of changing? Because they open themselves up to like a vulnerability if they're doing it at work and somebody's, you have some jackass, you know, down the hall that wants their job that says, you know, Joe's went off the reservation. And you know somebody else needs to do his job like me. Do you know it's
1: so funny, jackass down the hall, <laughs> what? jackass down. No, it's just so funny. You got that jacket. Uh, so so. Not so, that I know
0: any of those. But no, it. no.
1: I worked in corporate America. I never met any of those. <laughs> um. So. I don't think siloing works because yeah. siloing then 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 reinforces a false dichotomy that you cannot be whole.
0: Yeah, right?
1: yeah. Um, and what I've actually found is that the wins in reconnecting with yourself are actually so small. Like the shifts are so small. It's not like you're suddenly gonna play the ukulele naked at your next board meeting like 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 that no one's gonna do that and that's what's so amazing to me because we have so effectively said i don't trust myself to be myself because if i do i will do something inappropriate right Mm. and that is such a lie but that comes from this bottled up pent up self that's inside of you that you're like holy cow i can't let the genie out of the bottle but the reality that I found is that if you create a dialogue between the performance self, right, this one who knows how to conduct and move through these venues of life, if you create kind of an alliance that says, okay, I'm going to take care of you and you take care of me, right, the shifts are really they're so small, but they're seismic because, because it may be as small as um, one guy started to draw a cartoon box every night before he went to bed because he loved a cartoon as a kid. And it was one small thing he did. It took him five minutes a night before he went to bed that put him back in touch with himself. Mm. Now, the ripple out of that tiny change was greater self-respect. Was greater willingness to share ideas in meetings. Was more ease through conflict. Like like all these little tiny things start to shift because anytime anything changes, everything has to move. Right? We know this. Like this is just normal. But 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 I think a big part of it is trusting um, your own inner wisdom. Right. And that being the umbrella of both selves, right? Of the self that, that, that has learned to function and get power and everything um, and navigate. And the self that's really saying, well, I'm still here and I'm actually why you came into this existence.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we've spent our entire lives kind of training to be cogs in a machine. How do you then suddenly develop a sense of how do you uncover who you really are like what is what's the process to figure out what's important to you to figure out I need to draw or like in my case I I learned that I like to paint um I never knew it but you know it was liberating
1: so Um, how did how did you figure that out
0: Oh, uh, you tricked me there. You got me. Um, that, <laughs> was, that, was a, that was a minefield I walked right into.
1: <laughs> trickster, James. That's what I'm here for.
0: <laughs> I don't know how I did. I don't know how I did. But it's funny because, you know, the ironic thing is I went through a liberal arts school in uh, St. Mary's College of Maryland and never took an arts class. You know, I I drew when I was a kid, but it was... You know, I never really embraced myself as being an artist. And then, you know, I, I bought paper and brushes and paint and it really sat unused for probably five years. Yep. So I was afraid of messing up the white paper. Yep. And I had I, know, I had people around me who were like, Oh, you know, why are you even bothering? It's like you're never going to be able to do anything that's worthwhile. You're not going to be able to sell that. I'm like yeah. and one night, I just, I just went to the basement, started painting and came out. Happy. When I, when I came out of the uh, basement, it was the morning, you know, yeah. and it was like time passed and I didn't even realize it. So, yeah. and, and that feeling of, kind of coming out and having created something that I really didn't care what anybody else cared about it. You know. It was yours. It connected it me to me, yeah. And so I, you know, now I I do a podcast. I, I write, I, I do all sorts of other things that from a creative standpoint, I I honestly don't give a rat's ass at what other people think. Mm. I know that they have value in and of themselves, mm. but how did I start that? I don't know.
1: Poster child, you are a poster child. That is exactly, exactly the process I support, right? Um, you are the example of that tiny thing that didn't make you start to play the ukulele naked on the conference room table that tiny thing, that tiny moment of listening to some voice inside of you that for years had been saying, psst, psst, I'm right over here. Hey, I have an idea. Mm. Try this, it might be fun, right? Mm -hmm. You are the perfect example of how one tiny shift can ripple out. It can change your business. It can change, look, you're a podcaster now, you're on Spotify, you got listeners, right? Like this is what I'm saying. And that is a process that, that I created game change for because whether or not it takes five years or it takes 50 years, if someone's going to acknowledge, if someone who's that accomplished and knows how to check all the boxes that you know how to check, I know how to check, right? If someone's going to acknowledge something's not working for me, this is not enough. I'm curious. I, you moved with curiosity, but I imagine that there was some discontent and longing to connect with yourself. Right.
0: Yeah. And that really stemmed from a failed relationship. I would say,
1: Oh, I, I had
0: to, I had to retreat into myself because I, um. I didn't have that in terms of somebody else, you know, in terms of the relationship, so.
1: Somebody else to hide from yourself through.
0: Well, I mean, no, I mean, somebody else that, um, (laughs) what was that?
1: Oh, I turned off the notifications, but. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm sorry. No, no, no.
0: But, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it was really, you know, I went on this journey to figure out, you know, who I was, but, So this kind of opens up a, another rabbit hole. So what is the role that spirituality plays in this process of self-discovery and kind of figuring out who you are to be a more successful person?
1: Well, you know, I know that, um, I have had spiritual people experience this. Um, I've had agnostic people, I've had atheists, um, but that, language even kind of conflates, um, theism with spirituality. Um, and I think even from an entirely humanistic viewpoint, there's, there's not a lot needed for someone to acknowledge that they exist and that the mass of their genes, their upbringing, um, their current context, the demands, their education, their intelligence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all makes them a unique element, a unique potentiality in this world, right? The way any of us is going to respond under a set of circumstances is going to be absolutely um specific to us. And when you talk to people and they are feeling some kind of a loss, a pain point, um, a frustration, maybe they've checked every box and they're just freaking disillusioned. Like, is this it?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What I hear a lot. Is this it? And then you start to have conversations about when was the last time you were truly satisfied? Truly. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we have conversations that talk about the difference between joy and pleasure, right? Then we have conversations about um, w- what can give you access to joy. And they're like, access to joy? Isn't joy just, you know, something you find? And, and so those kinds of conversations, spirituality helps, Absolutely. But you can have these conversations completely predicated um, on a humanistic and experiential um, level, I would say, because there's no arguing with your primary experience. Hmm. And we know the difference. I actually believe longing for this is ubiquitous. It, it, we, it's hard coded and every one of us and, and all of us, not just business people, hello. I've worked in nonprofit environments. I have um, been in the army. I'm a beauty school driver. I shared all that with you. I was in the, the Montessori world. I was in the yoga world. Everybody betrays self. Everybody, everybody severs precious, precious aspects of self because we want to conform to whatever so we can be safe. And so this is, this is, this is basically um, acknowledging that that desire to reclaim, that desire to stay connected to self is something that we can honor. And all of us are going to do it our own way. That's, that's kind of the other thing that I think is really important. This isn't top 10 tips. Mm-hmm. Like, screw that. That's yeah. an algorithm. And I don't know about you, but I hate being crammed into an algorithm. I don't like being spoken to that way. Like a lot of coaches will talk to you like, well, you know, well, I spare me. Right. But, but what if we just held really powerful and powerful, such a dumb word, right? What if we just held really uncomfortable questions, Mm -hmm. right? That force us to not know for a while. That force us to, to wonder.
0: So, is it as we're going through this kind of um, experimentation or exploration? Is it more beneficial to do it as part of a community of people who are equally lost and floundering about, trying to, you know, find their way out of Plato's cave? Well. <laughs> oh, I-
1: that sounds awful judgmental
0: James. I'm going to tell you Judgmental? Really? <laughs> Evilly lost and floundering about. No, I mean, hey. <laughs> not, you know, I, I, I imagine like, let's say you walk into uh, just pick a company Costco and you, you walk into their lunchroom and, and um you know you you start talking about these issues to uh to one person is it more beneficial for that one person who feels this way to be part of a group of other people who feel that way as well or is it something that you know really benefits from you know being isolated and oh, wolf, meditating yeah. on yourself.
1: You know, that's a really good question. I, um, I think each has pros and cons, right? Um, doing it in community in a cohort, um, the benefit is that you get to learn from each other's trials right, if it's truly community and people feel safe to share, you, you know, to contribute, like, oh, this is what I'm saying and blah, blah, blah. And there's no pressure towards conformity, right? It's yeah. not a prescriptive experience that says you should be doing it this way. Um, like that can be a really, really, really beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. Um, and, but it needs that safety and that, yeah. that, um, that ability to be open.
1: The other thing too is, so many people are so afraid of being themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: in front of others. Yeah. In that kind of experimental sense, that um, that if you talk to them about, oh, you, you know, we've got a group that you know, da, 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 they'll say, oh, I can't do groups. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Because yeah.
1: because you have to really show up, and you have to not know all the answers. And for some people, that is really daunting. Um, so the, so there's, there's that, right? Um, I love groups where there's freedom to argue, where there's freedom, not argue, but to disagree, right? Where there's uh, freedom to doubt, where there's freedom to say, oh, this didn't work for me at all. <laughs> oh, that backfired, right? Et cetera. Like, that's what I love because that's where we're being real. And we're practicing for being in the world.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Um, But the lone wolf thing, um, look, if you don't have a group, sometimes you don't have a group. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to figure it out on your own. That's true. And um, so I, I think absent of the reinforcement of other people who are placing their bets, they're gambling on their own ability to change, right? That's a big leap of faith, right? Absent of that. And even with that, I really suggest this. You need to put yourself on a steady diet of people who show you that more and better and more true and more beautiful is
0: possible. Mm -hmm. And that goes to, you know, I've always believed you uh, eliminate the negative from your life and you Surround yourself with the positive, right? Yeah. I mean, if you create that space for positive to come into your life, it it truly flows in. But you know, there's a lot of darkness that you know you have to kind of purposely not buy into and not buy into their ideas shaping who you are.
1: Yeah, I think the slippery slope with that um, is the allergy that I've been observing, there's been a virus going around for about 30 years that's that's an allergy to having a bad day or to experiencing doubt, right? There's, there's, there's kind of this allergy to the human shadow, you could call it, right? And um, it's very prevalent in um, kind of the manifestational world. A lot of spiritual people are like, oh, oh, bad vibes, bad vibes, right? And um, I actually feel like some of our greatest insights come from our shadows and from sitting with it and saying, Wow, what's really
0: It's true, but you have to have the power to be able to assert yourself. And the reality is a lot of people don't have that power. So in the example I'm thinking of is, you know, a person who, let's say, is your mother and continually demeans you and assault your sense of self. I mean, that's not a positive no. uh, thing. And at least for a period, you need to reestablish boundaries and figure out who you are to be able to build up your own. Oh, family.
1: yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about harm and damage. I'm talking about, um, let's say 30 years later, you're away from that mom, and it's still impacting you. And you want to work with it, right? Well, there might be people around you who are like, oh, just put that behind you, blah, blah, blah. And that's a great idea, but you happen to have a nervous system that's created some nerve patterns that, that maybe you need to plumb through and you need to excavate a little, right? To yeah, figure yeah. out like maybe all that's become unconscious,
0: yeah.
1: right? So so I think that um, I totally agree with you. I'm not suggesting at all that you um, subject yourself to abuse. I'm saying that that that, okay, so let's say
0: abuse happens. At a certain point, you have to deal with it, but yeah. you have to deal with it when you have your you have your sense of power. Okay. I know we've gone on for a while. I know you have more stuff that you need to do in the day. Um, you do. We can, we can actually, if you're up for it, we could do other shows on other days and kind of explore some more rabbit holes. I'm sure we can find plenty.
1: Oh, my God. You and I could just find a little fortress, I'm sure. A rabbit fortress.
0: <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. What, um, if people want to follow uh, you or if they want to reach out and learn more about the work that you do, how can they uh, reach out to you?
1: They, they can find me on Facebook as uh, my first and last name. Super easy to find me. They can write me an email at my company. It's called, uh, it's balanceintegration.com and it's just my first name, which is a lot to spell out. So I'm not going <laughs> to
0: Tevis at yeah. Yep. Gotcha. yeah, All right. Well, Tevis, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat today. And like I said, we'll have to do it again.
1: Well, don't forget to tell them I have a free chapter for him. If anyone...
0: Free chapter for your book. Um, I will put the link in the uh, description of the show. So definitely check it out and, um, you know, we'll see what we can do from here.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, James. It was fun.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Talk to you soon.